Welcome to the IPX True North Podcast, where we connect people, processes, and tools. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us uh, on this podcast. Uh, I have a very special guest with me today, um, someone I've known now for probably over a decade, uh, Dr. Nathan Hartman uh, from Purdue University. Um, will be joining me today to talk about the ecosystem of tomorrow. We're actually going to do a multi-part series, and uh, uh, today's uh, podcast will focus on organizational change management. So with that, I just want to say, uh, Nate, if I can, um, or Dr. Hartman, you can tell me uh, uh, what Thank you want you. me to address you today, today. but uh, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to the discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, Nate's good, uh, just not late to dinner. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a good, uh, good podcast series. Well, with that, Nate, um, you know, for me, what I really want to talk about, and you know, you and I have probably pontificated on this uh, enough over the last ten years um, to probably be tired of talking about it. But the reality is, it's my perspective that organizations, academia, and individuals alone are really behind the curve when it comes to upskilling, when it comes to education, when it comes to workforce development. And we've been slapped in the face with it over the last couple of years with the pandemic, um, virtual workforce. And um, I think now more than ever, we really need to get these things. And it's, it's a bit of a war cry. Um, uh, it's a mantra of mine. Um, we really need value added change. So with that, What's your perspective on everything that's going on? You know, and I know we've talked about it in the past, but here we are. Um, it's 2022. We have organizations still having high rates of attrition. We have uh, the skilled trades workforce struggling to find workers. Uh, we have a, a what I believe is a disconnect between higher ed and the industry. Um, if we can, what's your perspective on all of this? <laughs> Sure. Um, that's there's a lot to unpack there. So let me let me maybe offer a few um, different types of opinions. I think one is um, at times I do think there is a disconnect between uh, academia and and industry. I guess I'm I'm just going to use those terms really broadly. That being said, though, I also think uh, at times there is even a disconnect within industry both in certain verticals as well as um, across those verticals about what they really want with um, their workforce. Um, that's one thing. I think I also think uh, another thing we have to look at is is what is the difference between sort of educating or training someone who has been with the company or maybe has at least been, in the workforce for some period of time. So they have experience to come back to versus someone who would be filling a very junior role or say first time hire kind of a role. Um, I think everything from the expectations to their around their productivity to, you know, their their contribution to the to the company culture is probably different compared to somebody, you know, who's been there with say five or 10 years of experience. And um, you know, another thing that we're we're all dealing with now, you know, as we are hopefully coming out the backside of this of this pandemic, that um, I think the expectations around work have changed. Um, 
you know, we, uh, I, I'll say in my organization right now, we're trying to hire two staff positions. And, um, you know, the it's hard to generate applications to those positions. And uh, one of the things we've all talked about, but yet not really sure exactly how to fix is the fact that, that there are a lot of unfilled positions in the workforce today. And yet it seems like there aren't people to fill them. However, when you go to certain parts of the country or maybe even around the state, unemployment varies. It's not the same from county to county or state to state. And even though it's relatively low compared to other times in history, there are certain spots that are higher than others. And so one of the things that immediately kind of jumps into my head is, well, where'd all the people go? You know, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a real good way to sometimes to monitor attrition. You know, some people, you know, there's always attrition, right? But some people may have just stopped looking or some people may have taken up a completely different kind of a job in this uh, sort of gig oriented economy that um, they may not have done otherwise. So I think there's a, there's a lot there, Joe, I think that to unpack some of which, you know, industry and academia can work together on, I think that some of it is, you know, it might be one of those things where it just so happens that we're the ones here right now during this social phenomenon. Uh, and, and there's, there's larger societal forces at work that, you know, we can try to influence, you know, maybe nudge in one direction or another, but, um, not sure if, if we'll be able to get our arms around this completely uh, anytime soon. I think this is going to be sort of a multi-year, you know, evolution, if you will, not necessarily revolution. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, I think I'm going to add more weight um, to this discussion. But you mentioned something uh, we also need to talk about at the state level, right? And, and even honestly, the, the federal level. But, you know, we've discussed the, the, the quote unquote brain drain that states are facing, right? You know, not only are we losing the workforce, but we're actually losing our, our voters, right? They're, they're moving rapidly. So I think there's a lot, you know, and I, thankfully we've got a lot of time and I think we'll probably break this into two parts. But for me, it's, um, there is a lot there and I agree. And then one thing I'd like to do is, is maybe you know, start unpacking a little bit of that. And um, if it's okay with you, I'd kind of, you know, from my perspective, like to start with the industry side and and you break that down by leader, um, by your kind of your director level and then your workforce level. And and what what perspectives, you know, from, from your seat, do you feel um, these individuals, these entities, should start adapting toward, you know, and, and for me, from a leadership perspective, for example, um, I mean, you know, I've been around, been around a long time. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of organizational changes. I've seen a lot of good, um, seen a lot of bad as well, you know, and, and typically it, it gets, uh, spearheaded by a, a IT revolution, right? A new software, Every, it seems like every five, every six years, we get this new software that's going to solve world hunger across all industry. And I say that with a mischievous grin on my face. Um, but many of us have those scars. And with those new softwares or those new tools, 
um, you know, typically our leaders try to enforce some level of what they consider OCM. In my perspective, that's always the wrong way of doing it. You know, I, I, as much as I am keeping things uh, intertwined or connected, I believe, you know, OCM and your, your IT improvement projects um, at, a, at a corporate level um, need to be handled a little separately. Um, now, when you start getting into business engagement, you start getting into the the roles and the process changes. Yes, those are elements of OCM, but we're talking about bigger picture today. Um, so from a leadership perspective, it's been my opinion, we're, there's a lot of um, token statements on OCM. There's a lot of token initiatives. You know, you get, take a two-day training, you get a little certificate and you go away and you forget everything you learn. From my perspective, this is, it's got to be top down and there's got to be a huge investment from a leadership perspective, not only do they need to get um, the training needed and, and be a part of those discussions, but they need to leave it, lead it from top down, you know, from, from your seat in the house, from your perspective, kind of watch your view, um, you know, on leadership and, and OCM. Well, I think from my perspective, I, I guess I would not, uh, I would not disagree necessarily with what you said. I may look at it a little bit differently in, in that I think there's a couple different pieces to to OCM that someone's got to wrestle with. There's there's the mechanics of it, you know, meaning how do I want my my organization structured? Who reports to who? Uh, you know, who you know, which group creates information, which group uses that information? You know, we talk about our processes and our workflows and, and that sort of stuff. So so there's one part of there's that part of, of organizational change management. But there's also um, the cultural element of change management, which is how do my people work together? Um, do we have uh, esprit de corps in such a way that when we face a tough challenge, will people rally behind that and 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 tackle it? Uh, do we have uh, an organization where people can freely come to each other with concerns, with challenges, with confrontations, with, the, you know, things where uh, people don't always agree and but yet you've got to work towards some kind of a solution. And then there's, I think, the knowledge part of, of change management, which is how do we keep our bread and butter, our secrets? How do we keep our IP intellectually and and uh, and from our products and so on in our organization. And, you know, education arguably in, in workforce development, you know, it can arguably help with all three of those, but it, it's, um, I think, maybe slightly more important in kind of the cultural aspect and, and in the knowledge aspect in the sense that, I mean, there are a lot of models that somebody could follow on how to structure the mechanics of their organization. Right. And, and a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, flat structures and hierarchical structures and so on. But, you know, organizations develop structures because they had to. Right. There was just too, in, too much information and too many decisions for one person to make them all. And so we had to start subdividing things. Uh, obviously, products became more complicated. Organizations became more complicated. You know, when when supply chains became a thing, those became more complicated. Right. So you needed an organizational structure that would that would allow information to flow, decisions to be made and for the organization to function. Um, you know, over time, obviously, there's a certain 
viscosity, if you will, to how that information flows. And in some organizations, you know, the information flow is uh, more viscous than others, and that causes certain problems. And so, um, I, you know, my discussion on this is probably not going to focus really in, in, in the structural piece. It's going to be more about the culture piece, more about the education piece. And I think for leaders, it, it's important, obviously, that, that they have a good understanding of their corporate culture. Um, it's, it's important that uh, they educate their employees on what that culture is, why it is what it is. Um, what that means to their customers, why it's important, how it can help and help them uh, do the mechanics of and structural stuff of change management when it comes time. Uh, you know, you and I both know that that culture, um, you know, either helps you or it greatly hinders you in in doing um, in doing all sorts of things in your organization, right? And uh, and without uh, being able to, to harness that to work for you rather than against you, uh, if you're not able to do that, then you're likely going to not be as successful as you could be when it comes to organizational change management. Um, obviously, when you look at what, um, you know, IPX does, and, and I'd even say, you know, others in the, in the market as well, um, you know, ultimately, you're trying to help folks get their arms around the mechanics of all three of those pieces, right? The structural, the cultural, the educational pieces of, of organizational change management. Um, but a leader's got to have their finger to some degree on the pulse of all three of those. Uh, obviously, they, they're not down in the weeds day to day most of the time, but, you know, it's, uh, but they really need to have an understanding and somebody who can, in fact, you know, um, uh, tell truth to power when it's necessary to say, look, you know, we're not going in the right direction here. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, that ties in really well. And, and, and you, you mentioned the, the phrase knowledge management. You and I have discussed this as well. Um, when you talk about those, those kind of three or four elements um, from a leadership perspective, I, I think that's where a lot of companies and leaders are struggling is, you know, you have you have your standard attrition. We've we've seen an, an uptick in that. But you also have a lot of companies that are successful and they promote uh, career progression. Right. And that's an equal uh, problem and sometimes a, a greater issue, especially with large companies that are cash rich. You know, they're they're continually pushing uh, their workforce to uh, progress, um, to upskill. And you have that knowledge management transfer issue. And, and, and that is one thing, much like IPX and others, there's some great entities out there um, that really focus on some of these key elements. But it's one reason we launched the Idea Academy and it's and coupled that with the CM2 model for knowledge management, because that's where a lot of companies um, just have that rework and, and they're they're recreating that knowledge year after year after year and some months after months. And it's, and it's typically that handover, right? And it's that upskill of, I just got out of university or I just changed jobs or I changed locations or I changed uh, industry. Uh, regardless, I'm coming into this new entity and my hesitation or my reluctance and my fear of not being successful is I need that knowledge to be successful. And if it's all the quote unquote tribal 
knowledge, um, that makes things very difficult. And I do think that's one area um, from a leadership perspective, um, they're trying to figure out how to tackle. And I, at the end of the day, it's an investment. It, it, it has to be an investment. Uh, it has to be led top down. And, and it, it can't just be passed down uh, from position to position or changeover to changeover. And, and I think we've seen a lot of static ways of uh, developing uh, education or training. Uh, we've seen a lot of static ways of managing knowledge, managing that IP. Um, I think it needs to be more dynamic. Uh, and what I mean by that, it's got to, it's got to be more intuitive. It's got to be more self-paced. It's got to uh, be more usable and functional. Uh, we've all taken the uh, PowerPoint by death trainings. You know, you, you spend six months in a very small conference room or a, a closet going through all your onboarding classes or your your new position uh, courses and you just you just lose it you don't pay attention it's not functional so um but you know, those are that point you know to that point i think there's it all your training also has to be adaptable and and i mean not just your your mechanism for doing it but your content that you that you have you know there's there, to me there's nothing more sort of poignant and and powerful than a new person coming in and going, well, why do you do it that way? Especially when they go, I don't understand what we're doing here. Why do you do it that way? You know, we in organizations, particularly in industrial ones, although to be fair, an academic one like where I am is no different. Sometimes we process ourselves to death and we don't really think enough about practice. And, you know, pro arguably process and practice are two different things. And, you know, we can, we can write down the process and we can follow the steps, but the practice is what actually gets done. You know, we, we've both been in enough industrial settings where, you know, yeah, we have this standard operating procedure right here. Why didn't you look at it? Oh, no, we don't do it that way. We do it this way. Well, then what's the point of a standard operating procedure then? And so when I when I think about, um, again, going back to your question about about leadership, is that we also are in a time now where where our technology does enable us to have adaptable training, not just accessible and not just sort of uh, you know, up to date, if you're not up to date, that's the wrong word, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not static. It, it can be adaptable, but I think one of the things that a lot of companies or organizations in general haven't at times been willing to do in the past is invest the time in creating the content so that it does in fact align with processes. Moreover, they've not um, documented well and kept up to date very well the descriptions of their uh, processes, let alone having captured the art of their practice. You know, that's why in many cases folks have been worried, you know, in the last 10, 20 years about the, you know, the baby boom generation retiring because one of the challenges is there was a lot of inherent knowledge uh, in those people's heads that when they went out the door, you know, organizations got lax and they, they unfortunately didn't really do a good job of, of maintaining that internal knowledge, that internal information, that combination 
of practice and, and corporate culture and how the two feed off of each other. They didn't really sort of document and capture that very well. You know, one of the, you know, we, we talk a lot these days about um, the fourth industrial revolution, right? Or this idea of digital transformation. It, you know, it's a safe bet that 10 years from now, it'll be something else, right? But, um, but the point is, is that, you know, certain technologies that are available to us today um, can help in this regard. Yet again, it's it's and a lot of people have said this is that, you know, don't get too enamored with the technology without making sure that your practice and your your culture is coming along for the ride, because if it's not, you know, you can buy all the technology you want. It's not going to matter. Yeah. And I. I want to circle back on a few of those items you just raised because they're uh, it's real it's important for the audience to really you know honestly write this down in old fashioned. Um, one, you talked about the inherent knowledge and and how do we capture that? How do we translate that? How do we make it digestible? How do we reuse that? That's an issue um, organizations and leaders are facing. And then you talked about the adaptability or the fit for purpose. Right. We we have to have training that flows um, and it's a bit more cohesive. Uh, and I think to do that, and I, I'm not for sure you, you mentioned this word. If you did, I apologize. It's accountability. Right. So we have to hold ourselves accountable to ensure we're assessing our training, assessing how we are managing that knowledge, how we're storing that the the actual change management of knowledge management, the change management of our training, change management of our systems. Um, you know, we've, we've all been there. Uh, you know, I'll use uh, product lifecycle management, um, something you and I know it's near and dear to our heart. Typically training, and I think this applies across all functions, all competencies, typically training is it's last on the project plan or it's, and if, and if it's not, it's typically your picks and clicks. This is, your new system, this is how you log in. This is this is what you need to do to progress something from A to Z. Um, or Joe, one of the first things to be eliminated when things are running over budget or when you know economic times are not good, what's one of the first things to be eliminated? Training. Absolutely. Training and right after that, usability. And I say that. Yeah. I say that with a smile on my face, but unfortunately it's true. Um, you know, we sacrifice all the wants and then we boil that down to the, to the proverbial needs and the users aren't getting their needs met. And it's just a dangerous cycle. And we talk about OCM that compounds, right? That compounded interest of doing things incorrectly or not doing it at all, you know, and, and it's, it, it costs. And, um, no, I, I really, really like the adaptability. I, I like the the fit for purpose, um, that the ability to track that inherent knowledge. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big believer in holding, holding ourselves accountable as leaders. You know, I know I've made mistakes, but then I've adjusted, but I hold myself accountable and I hold my, uh, workforce accountable. Um, we do it with our clients as well. You know, one thing I'm really proud of on our OCM model is, you know, when we assess an organization, that DNA assessment, we identify everything about that entity or that industry or that, that client. You know, we identify all of the process, the, their as-is processes, their as-is systems, their as-is workforce structure, 
their ads as needs from a, from a vertical or a diagonal slice across the workforce. And when an organization invests in doing that assessment and you include training, now you at least have something to start from. And, and honestly, and it's, it's disappointing to say, very few organizations are including training and knowledge management in those assessments for their 2B roadmap, right? You know, everybody's got the financial sustainability, scalability, grow our footprint. We always want to make customers happy. Two of them, and, and we're going to talk about this one later on in the series, you don't see a lot of companies standing by quality anymore. And, and internally and or externally, it's it's a token statement at best. And then this knowledge management and and true OCM. And to me, that's that's what we're talking about. It's from a leadership before we move on to the next topic within this little subset. My opinion is it starts with accountability and 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 then investment and then identifying the right partners to work with from an unbiased perspective. That's another one that we haven't really touched on is allowing an unbiased perspective to challenge that status quo within your company. Well, and, and to, you know, that the notion of, of bias, especially when people talk about technology and they talk about its transformational aspects on the workforce as well as on the workplace, uh, we've, I've seen a lot these last couple of years, um, uh, well, prior to the pandemic, and then now, as we're sort of coming out of the pandemic, so to speak, beginning to hear this and see this again, where people are, are looking, right? And they're comparing and they're benchmarking and they're um, those, doing those kinds of activities to look at, okay, what are the people who are in my market, in my community, whatever that might be, what are they doing? You know, now, I mean, that's probably been going on for as long as there have been, you know, companies making stuff, they, right? They've compared, uh, they've compared themselves to, to the others. And, you know, there's, there is a little bit that can be healthy about that. But one of the, the challenges that, that I see companies having is how it relates to technologies. In fact, I was just in another meeting earlier today, uh, working with one of the standards companies. Uh, committees and we were talking about um for example why um do people um uh, always think that this concept of say model-based definition immediately means i have a cad model well for you know the viewers of this podcast you know it's important to understand that that you know, the 3D digital model is how, for better or for worse, how many companies begin to create their design artifacts these days. And when you talk about the digital transformation of a manufacturing enterprise, one of the easier starting points is to begin to leverage that 3D model through an organization, using it for all of its communicative and, and, and precisional characteristics, right? I think I just made up a word there, precisional. But anyway, um, the point is, is that it's not to say that MBD is only CAD, but that's just where the often the easiest jumping off point 
for people is. And so the reason I'm talking about this in the context of this, this podcast is that when we talk about organizational change management, I think from a leadership perspective, you need to pick up on is there an easier and, and relatively speaking, more digestible jumping off point for my employees, for my organization? You know, you can do multi-divisional mergers and separations and, and you know, spread stuff across different continents and so on and so forth. But that's rather complex. And I mean, that's not to say you shouldn't do it, but but it's rather complex, right? But I think when we talk about culture and we talk about um, educational aspects of, of an organization, as well as the mechanics of, of change management, I, I do think just humans being what we are, need a digestible chunk, if you will, to, to start off with. You know, it's that proverbial proof of concept, right? That proverbial you know, 0001 in the serialization process, right? Is we we need that in order to be able to gain comfort with with what's happening, to eliminate our biases with what's happening, or at least mitigate them. And um, but also to see that something can work. And then jump into some more of that complexity. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think this is actually a, a good transition to that next level, which I'm just set up as kind of the director level or manager level. And uh, we'll talk about some of those precisional elements. I'm not sure that's in Webster, but we'll give you credit for it. I'll try to sprinkle it in there for you. <clears throat> but as we move from that leadership, you know, setting the stage, being the voice and communicating that down through, you know, the C-suite or the executive staff down to the director level, and, and, and that's right where we're at with what you're talking about. Now, how do we take this message of change and, and take these new methods that we're being tasked with deploying to the workforce and our people? How do we make it digestible? Honestly, I hope our podcast audience has enjoyed this as much as I have. And this is just part one of our Ecosystem of Tomorrow uh, series. Uh, part two, we're going to actually discuss operating models. Uh, this one's going to be an interesting one. I I've uh, challenged uh, uh, my team uh, with trying to keep us into uh, each one of these being uh, one part, but I don't think that's going to be possible. But as long as you have the time, I'll continue talking to you. But again, thank you for joining me for the Ecosystem of Tomorrow, talking about OCM. And I look forward to uh, our next session, which is Operating Models. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show. And for more information on IPX, visit IPXHQ.com.